Well, good morning to you. Uh, before I start continuing our series on 1 Corinthians, I wanted to share a quick word with you. Um, it's about God's faithfulness. Um, we, uh, about two months ago, had a series on giving that uh, God has blessed faithfully. His word always produces results, and you have faithfully responded. Uh, I don't know if you were aware that in the first couple months of this year, January and February, we were not in the black. We were in the red. Our, our income did not meet our expenses. But through this series, through the word of God, through your faithful giving, uh, not only has that red ink been erased, but also for March and April, we are above what we needed a bit. So I wanted to say thank you to each of you. Thank you to God for his faithfulness. But the thing that tells me, it tells me something. Whenever I see faithfulness and obedience and giving, I know there are stories out there that we haven't heard. People that have said, you know, I didn't used to give, but I, I didn't even know how I could give, but I started to give. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but you wouldn't believe what God did. That's what we wanna hear. Giving inspires more giving. Faithfulness of God inspires more people to trust God. And so what I wanna do is just encourage you, please share with the church office, share with us. It doesn't have to be your name. We're not here to give glory to people. We're here to give glory to God. And so we want to hear the stories, though, because when you hear that uh, these Macedonians gave out of their poverty and gave more than able, and God did amazing things with it, you want to say, wow, why can't we do that? We can, and we probably have. I bet some of the people here gave out of their poverty, and God met their needs anyway. It happened in my life. I know it's true. So we need to hear from you. Uh, that's a, my quick plug. What we're looking for is stories of God's faithfulness in your giving because we want to share them with the people and I believe giving inspires giving. So let's just start. Our uh, first passage on 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There's a story about a proud young man who approached the philosopher Socrates. Socrates was kind of a muscular guy and when this person came up he said oh great and wise Socrates please give me wisdom and Socrates could recognize a proud arrogant person when he saw one and so he said follow me and they went down to the seashore and they went waded up into the water about chest deep and Socrates again asked him what did you want he says oh great and wise Socrates I want wisdom and he grabbed the man by the shoulders and shoved him underwater and he held him there 25, 30 seconds, he let him out. The man came up and he says, what is it that you want? Oh, great and wise Socrates, I want. And down in the water he went again. This time, 35, 40 seconds. And the man came up spluttering. What is it you want? Oh, wonderful Socrates, I want. And down in the water again he went. 45, 50 seconds. Finally he came up and the man says, so, what is it you want? I want air! <laughs> and Socrates told the young man, as soon as you want knowledge, as much as you have just wanted air, you will find it. And I think this is the, the secret that God tells us out of Proverbs. Do you want God's wisdom in the same way this young man wanted air? In the same way that deer pants for water? It's interesting. The Bible tells us even though Paul was hard on philosophy, there is wisdom that we should be pursuing. It's God's wisdom. And according to Proverbs 2, verse 2 and beyond, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, each of us is to be pursuing wisdom as we would seek hidden treasure or as this young man wanted air. Do we? Or is it just something we can sit on our table and gather if we want? See, God says if you will seek wisdom, 
like that, he promises what? He says that you will gain wisdom and knowledge of God. And who doesn't need that? Jesus said the knowledge of God, to know God, is important. In fact, in John 17, he said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But you know, the world's wisdom is loud. It's persistent. It's unending. Many have been lured away by what it teaches. And we might think that in the hallows of this room, the world's wisdom is barred at the doors. It can't get in here. Can it? Well, believe it or not, each one of us in our own heads carry enough worldly wisdom to choke a horse. Worldly wisdom is not barred at the doors. In fact, some of you might be even impacted right now with, I wonder when this is going to be over. I wonder if I can have my car washed. I don't know what you're thinking about, but worldly wisdom will take you away from God's path. It will. It's just, and it's not barred at the door. It doesn't take a nap. It doesn't take a break. It constantly nags and pesters our minds. And God is telling us, do not follow it. Be on guard. Even from Christians, they are not immune from hearing the lure of worldly wisdom. But Paul is teaching us something. Last week, Larry taught us that true salvation cannot rest on the wisdom of men. It must rest on the wisdom of God. But the Bible says that, you know, the antidote of men's darkened minds is not blankness. It's God's wisdom. So let's just go and let's read the passage, 1 Corinthians 2, and see what Paul has to say about this thing called God's wisdom and man's wisdom. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age or of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us block out any worldly wisdom, any worldly thought that would distract and hinder, that you would reveal to us your wisdom, that you would reveal to us what you want us to see, that you would allow it to penetrate our hearts. Father, I don't want my words to mean a thing. I want them to reflect what you want to say to each person here, including myself. Let me even hear what you're telling me this morning. Father, change us this morning. I pray you would change us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul has been addressing the danger of division in the church. And there have been many. And division is something that our Lord Jesus was concerned about as well. In fact, he prayed for unity as one of the last things he prayed for his people in the upper room. In fact, in John 17, it says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one. Not that they may be several, not that be many, one, just as you and I are. Now, the question there is, do you think the church is divided today? Across this land, is the church divided? Absolutely. This, this has not yet become a reality. Now, in this room, I hope there are less divisions than there might be across the globe, but I must say that the things we're gonna talk about, the things that worldly wisdom will push on will divide us. It will separate us because the world's agenda is not God's. 
The world's agenda is not unity, it's division. Jesus said that over and over again. A house divided against itself will not stand. That is Satan's plan. Divide and conquer. We don't want that, so we want God's wisdom. So the basis of our salvation, the basis of our wisdom must not rest on men, but on God. Not on smooth talk, not persuasive words that we heard last week. I don't want any of my words to do a thing today on a persuasive standpoint. I want God's word to penetrate my heart, your heart, everyone's heart, to do what he says. That's what I want. So may that be what happens this morning. See, the opposite of the world's wisdom is not mindlessness. It's not wisdomless. See, that's what happens in the movies. Uh, Yoda tells Luke to really do this force thing Empty your mind of all thought. Be blank. Be stupid. Be empty. That is not God's way. In fact, God says that we should be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Right? Under the control of the Holy Spirit. So now, we're not supposed to be blank people. We're supposed to have God's wisdom and have it be enacted on by the Holy Spirit in our life. So we don't want mindlessness or stupidity. We want God's wisdom. So in this passage, we're going to begin to unwrap maybe four questions, answers to four questions about wisdom that Paul tells us about. First, who cannot receive the wisdom of God? Who won't understand it? Who can receive or understand the wisdom of God? What is the wisdom of God? And how is spiritual or godly wisdom even available to us? How do we get it? So the first question, who, can receive, who cannot receive the wisdom of God? Well, we see twice in our passage that Paul refers to a set of people called the rulers of this age. Now, I think these are poster children for Paul of who cannot get it. And he says this, the wisdom we speak or proclaim is not of this age or of the rulers of this age. So first we need to understand what is this age? Is Paul talking about just the rulers that are present right now where I'm alive? Is that what he means, this age? No, I think he means, even though Greek means an age, a period of time, I mean it's the season of men. There's nobody on the planet Earth then or now, because we are no smarter in worldly wisdom than they were then. There's no one that's gonna be able to come up with this stuff from their own minds and this age means everything up to today, including our brilliant 21st century thinkers. In fact, his point is simply not that it's old wisdom, but it's the ageless wisdom of God versus the ageless wisdom of men that will pass away. So at the top of the food chain, who would you expect to have the most wisdom in a society? Who should have the most information? You hope. The leaders, right? The rulers. You hope they're not operating out of no information. Now, I'm not trying to criticize any particular party or rulership today, but I don't think they have all the information. And so what Paul's point here is, even at the top of earthly food chain, earthly wisdom won't cut it. It will not bring you to God. It will not give you a relationship with God. You don't understand the things of God, and you never will. And 21st century thinking will not change that. So if, lest you think that in this utopian society where all we need is a little more knowledge, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Well, and it says, how did Paul know they didn't have it? Well, in verse 8, he says, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Well, how did he know that? For that if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Wow. That's an incredible verse, isn't it? If you had all the facts, if at the top of your food chain, at the top of your game, mankind will crucify the Lord of glory because they don't understand God's wisdom. Now, the Lord of glory is, an, is, a, is a fun term. And it really doesn't mean, and it didn't mean to the Jewish mind, the Lord, a Lord who happened to be glorious. That's not what this says. It's really the Lord of the glory, the Lord of the Shekinah. 
And that should bring evidences of a mind to the, of the Jewish listener. When God was present with us, they had the cloud at night and the pillar of fire and over the, over the Ark of the Covenant, there was the presence, the Shekinah glory that filled the temple. This is the Lord of that glory is the one they crucified. This is no Lord that happened to be glorious. This was the Lord of all glory. In fact, to a Jewish mind, can you see the paradox here? How can a person combine in a singular sentence the word crucify with the word Lord of the Shekinah? How does that make any sense? You cannot kill Almighty God, can you? Well, eternally, no. In a body, absolutely, yes. And they did. So it's interesting here that you might think, well, who are these rulers then? Are these rulers what some scholars had said? Well, they're really the mm, demonic authorities. Well, that's what they would get from reading 1 John 5, that it says that the earth lies in the power of the evil one. The earth has, you know, the keys of the earth were handed over to Satan by men. God handed them to man. Man fell and handed them to Satan. This world is not ours anymore. It belongs to Satan. He's running the show of this worldly system. That's why we need rescue from this worldly system, from Christ. But is that what he meant? How about Ephesians 6? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Is this true? Absolutely it's true. Your enemy is not your neighbor. Not, not your annoying neighbor that doesn't know Christ and has beer parties at night. That's not your enemy. The enemy is the world forces, the rulers in the darkness, the people that inspire and motivate and infuse power into these kinds of activities, the ones that hold people captive. We are looking at a world full of victims of our a foe, Satan, and we want to rescue these victims through the blood of Christ. But this is not what he's saying. These are true. And had Satan really been the one that nailed Jesus to the cross, if he'd have known what would have happened, that his chokehold of mankind would have been broken, his hold on death, on hell, on everything was broken by the resurrection of Christ, he probably wouldn't have done it. I think Satan was smiling the day Jesus was crucified. I don't think he was smiling when he came out of the tomb. It says that he led captivity captive, right? I don't think he was smiling. He knew his realm was over. His days were numbered. He's operating on little time. He's like a foe that's getting desperate. But now, I don't think that's what he was talking about when he said the rulers of this present age. I think he said mostly it's the, because these demons didn't put Jesus on a cross, men did. And according to verse 8, it says they were the ones that crucified Christ. So it's the Jewish religious rulers, the Roman rulers. And there's one other fact. The demons have always known who Jesus was. Did you know that? When Jesus showed up, they said, hey, 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 it's not our time. You can't do this to me yet. They knew history. They knew Jesus. What they didn't know was the wisdom of God's plan. I don't think they would have followed through with the wisdom that they had against God's plan if they knew it was our undoing. When Jesus came out of the tomb, it messed everything up, but it saved us. I love it. Anyway, so the first reason I think that why did he use these guys as examples was he knew that the Corinthian church was continuing to be misled by false teachers who were promoting wisdom that produced power that produced uh, a study and a, and a love of wisdom. Do you think who had power in their day? The rulers. These wisdom, the wisdom that these rulers were using was insufficient to see Christ. And he's pointing them out to this church. Look, even the rulers with all their wisdom, you're pursuing a wisdom that'll promote your power, promote your glory. Look where it got these guys. They crucified the Lord of glory. Do not follow wisdom that produces power 
earthly power, earthly glory, earthly acclaim, it's useless. Do not follow that. But I think there's another one that's a second reason is because these guys were just like the perfect example of what people who have pursued wisdom are like and what they'll do and how they are blinded. I'll take a look at, um, I think it's found in, um, yeah, John 5, 42, 44. These guys, these rulers, approach Jesus, and Jesus says, I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. What he's telling them is, I can tell by your footprints, by what you pursue, whether you'll ever grasp heavenly wisdom, wisdom from God. Because if you're pursuing power and glory for yourself, you cannot be seeking God. These are mutually exclusive endeavors. And he says, it's an incredible thing. He's telling that these rulers, you can tell whether they have earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom or godly wisdom. And we can be told right now, you can follow your tracks and I can tell whether you're following heavenly wisdom or or earthly wisdom. It becomes apparent by how you live and what's important to you. Are you seeking your glory, your power, your acclaim, your reputation, your benefit, then you're not seeking the glory of God. It's one or the other. But another verse says in Mark chapter 11, it says they came to Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple, I love this, they all ganged up on him. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders all came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Wow. And these guys, I think, huddled up. says in the passage, they went and talked amongst themselves. What are we going to do? If we say he was from heaven, then he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? And if we say from earth, then we're probably gonna get stoned by the people because they all held John to be in a prophet. I don't like the prospect of saying I'm dumb enough to not follow heavenly revelation, and I don't like the prospect of dying. I don't know. And Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The amazing characteristic of these priests and scribes and elders is in their total and complete indifference to what was true, to what was right. What they were looking for is, hmm, how can I continue to look good even though I'm trapped? How can I avoid death even though I might deserve it. So they had power and fear as their motivators, but no love for the truth. Jesus says, you cannot believe in this state. If you're pursuing your own agenda that will promote your own wisdom that puts power, acclaim, glory, reputation, that's your goal, you're not seeking Christ. You'll be just as likely to crucify Christ as these leaders. Well, it's possible then to be so enamored by the world's wisdom that leads to power and acclaim that a person's ability to even access and possess the wisdom of God is cut off. So the answer to the first one is easy. No one who loves wisdom that promotes their own power and glory will ever be able to accept the wisdom of God. And the troubling thing is some Christians still want to use some of these things after they know Christ. They still think their reputation is important in the scheme of things. 
It's not. That's why we're quiet. Why do we go quiet? We're afraid, right? When we don't witness, why do we not witness? One of the primary reasons we are afraid that people will think we're weird or we don't know, they'll ask a question we don't know the answer to or whatever we say. We're just like these guys. We, can, we, we let fear be our motivator or we let pride be our motivator. We cannot do this. God's glory is the only thing that matters and sharing him is to promote him and has nothing to do with us. Amen. Nothing to do with us. Well, the next one, question two, who can receive? Well, this is easier. In verse six, Paul says, we do speak wisdom among the mature. So it's obviously all the old people. No, that's not what he meant. When Paul says, I'm speaking a message to the mature, what did he mean? Well, mature in the Greek can also have the meaning of complete or perfect. So how about that? Is that the meaning we should look at as perfect? Well, what audience would Paul have had if he could only speak this message to the perfect? Anybody in here perfect? Well, I can't be saying anything then because uh, it's a message for the perfect. No, that's not the meaning of mature. There's another meaning here. In the Greek, it also had a rendering that had a a concept of being fully initiated, being part of a group, being fully incorporated into that group. And that's what we all are when we're made complete in Christ. God does all the work. We are put in God's family. We are made part of the whole, the family of God. This is the being made mature. This is being made spiritual. This is consistent with Paul's message later on when he says, I speak a message to the spiritual. Is that only to the elite? Only to the ones that have perfected their Christian life? No. Everybody either is in Christ with the Spirit of God living in them or they're outside of Christ and the Spirit of God does not live in them. To be spiritual means to be indwelt by the Spirit and impacted and controlled by the Spirit of the living God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. No one has arrived. I haven't arrived for sure. And I'd like to meet anybody who thinks they have. None? Okay, good. I didn't want to miss anybody. The other thing here I have, want to say, though, we're supposed to be, as spiritual people, active agents in God's church, regardless of our maturity level. Did you know that? It says in, I think, Galatians 6.1, if anyone, anyone, is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. If that means you who are perfect, you who have arrived, who would help this person? Nobody. Whoever has the spirit of God is enabled and qualified to help a person get out of trouble in their trespass and sin. If you have Christ, you're part of the army of God. You're part of those that can help. You're part of those that can be involved in this church's health. You don't have to refer people to the pastor. That's not what it says. But if anybody is overtaken by a trespass, let the pastor know. Uh Uh-uh. Absolutely not. Please don't do that. We have enough people that tell us already. No, what we want is people who know Christ, who love Christ, to step in their life and lovingly restore in a spirit of gentleness. That's what the verse says. Well, Aren't you glad that who can know God is not dependent upon your qualifications? It's not depending on your economics, your education, your intelligence, your race, your, your country of affiliation, nothing. It says here in Matthew 11, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have actually hidden these things from people who think they're wise and intelligent, but you have revealed them to infants. I'm I'm an infant because God has revealed Jesus to me and if he's revealed him to you this is by divine choice the people that can know Christ are the people that God has let know him period there's nothing you didn't qualify for this that's why there can be no pride in a church 
Who got here by their own good merits, their own education, their own intelligence, their own wittiness? Zero. So if you're here and you know Christ, it's because of his work in your life, regardless of who you are. We love you. You're part of us. As, as we heard uh, a couple weeks ago from Pastor Todd, you're one of the nobodies, just like me. We're a group of nobodies. But God can do amazing thing with nobodies. He says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, he must be doing a lot of good things around here because we're pretty weak. Well, let's go on. The number two answer is just believers are those who can know God's wisdom and believe that it's true. The world will never believe it, no matter how smart they are. They'll never believe it. Question three, what is the wisdom of God or the spiritual, what is spiritual wisdom? Well, if you think I can answer that in any less than an eternity, you're not gonna sit here long enough for me to describe the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is infinite. We can only scratch, not even scratch, we probably won't even scratch the surface. And we could say in one sense, the wisdom of God is simply that which enables mankind to know him, to follow him, to be instructed in life and living in a way that honors God, gives glory to him, and lands us in a relationship with him forever. That is true wisdom. But Paul gives three aspects of this wisdom of God that are characteristics that he wants us to know that we may not have known. The first one is this. It says in verse six, it's a wisdom that is not of this age. So this is a wisdom, this wisdom of Christ. The salvation message that we have and we share has never been come up by man. Man will never come up with it. It is not of this age. It will never come out of men's heads. It's not gonna happen. And he says, so where did it come from? That's the second point. True spiritual wisdom in verse seven comes from God and God alone. It says in verse seven, but we speak whose wisdom? God's wisdom in a mystery. Well, that means there's some other qualifications here that we need to see. Why do we get so frustrated when people don't understand when we explain the gospel to them? We think it's so clear, isn't it? I mean, to us, it's like, duh. Why wouldn't you believe this? It's amazing stuff. But here's what it says. It is a mystery. It means it doesn't mean it's puzzling or too hard to understand. It means it's God has determined to keep this message secret from mere men. The only people that will get this secret are people God wants to let know. So what should that do for us? I keep saying it. It should free us up. There's nobody here can reject our delivery of the gospel of Jesus Christ based on our delivery. We could explain it as good as the Apostle Paul. It doesn't matter unless God connects that message with faith, they'll never get it. Why? Because it's a mystery. And what's the effect of a mystery? The second piece, it's hidden. There's no way we can explain out the hiddenness. Do you think you can do that sometimes? I think I can, I, I bet I can really illuminate this for these guys. They can really see what God's about. I can start to peel away the hiddenness of this. Not a chance. Do you think if God wants to keep something secret, we have any chance of letting it be found? Who can reveal a secret God wants kept? I don't think there's a soul in this room and I don't think there's a soul on the planet. If God says it's a secret and it's hidden, it will stay secret and hidden until he chooses not to. So don't take the pressure, don't build it in yourself, just share the message and let God do the revealing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Well, it says it's preordained too. This is incredible. See, not only has God's secret purpose of love and mercy and redemption been revealed in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it was God who broke the impenetrable silence, the veil, he ripped it, 
and let us see. And he says, by the way, did you know that this started way back? When men fell, when Adam and Eve fell, that wasn't when God went, oops, what am I going to do now? No, it says that it was preordained. This wisdom, this knowledge was existed before the ages. Do you see that? It existed before the ages in verse 7. It was predestined. It was already planned. That means if you could follow the river of salvation, it would go back through the empty tomb, the cross of Christ, the incarnation, the fall of man, the creation of man, the creation of the world, back to its real source. What is that? That is to the infinite love and mercy of God from time before time. Before you even were a person, God had your rescue planned. That's what this says. So don't, don't worry who, that someone's going to slip through the net of God's plan. Do you see what it says? His plan is in place since before there was a world. It's incredible to me. But the third thing it says, it's for our glory. So whatever else the wisdom of God contains, we can be certain. He has devised and planned for every one of his children a future which is dull and dreary. It's glorious. He has planned this to our glory. Why would God share his glory with us? He must love us. Would you think? Well, it says this at the end of verse 7, and it says that regardless of how difficult your life is, how painful it's been, how lonely it's been, how tough it's been, how hard, at the end of this journey, you will be taken to a place and be glorified. Romans 8.30, right? Says whom he has chosen, right? He has saved, he has justified, he has glorified glorified he sees it as done you will arrive you will arrive glorified now what does that mean well Paul said in Romans 8.18 I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us have you pictured that when you get to heaven are you thinking eh, tough times good glory they're not, they're not even in the same scale you're, you're going to have to take your magnifying glass out to see, the, or maybe it's an atomic uh, microscope, to try to see what your pains were like compared to the glory that he has prepared for you. It's incredible. Saint, every one of us have glory in their future because of this infinite wisdom of God. He designed it for you. He wants you to have it. Now, it's incredible that some of the elders and, and pastors and shepherds of churches, Peter said this. He says uh, when the chief shepherd appears that the elders and shepherds will receive an unfading crown of glory. What? We're just mere men. Yeah, but he rewards just mere men and women. He does. Now what's the motivation of a pastor to be then? The acclaim, the money, the fame, the reputation. No, it's what he's thought of by the chief shepherd when he shows up. That's the goal because the ones that have faith and please the chief shepherd will get a crown of glory. What a future. How about you? Did you know that every one of you in this room, saint, if you know Christ, you have a crown in your future? 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, I have to say, um, these were my nephew Matthew's favorite verses, 2 Timothy 4. He said he wanted these verses put on his gravestone, and they were. He was only 18 years old at the time, and he had already struggled with an 18-year battle with cancer. He started off at 12 weeks old with cancer. It already cost him an eye. It had cost him a leg. And as I sat by his bedside a few days before he went home to glory, he quoted these verses to me. And I want to read them. I think they're important. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, 
and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. My nephew, he sat on the edge of the bed and his Uncle Timmy, guess what? What, Matthew? God says, I'm gonna have a crown soon. And since you love Jesus, you're gonna get one too. And then he said, don't cry for me, Uncle Timmy. So we all are gonna die. I just happen to know a little bit more clearly when I'm going. And then he kind of looked at me with his one good eye twinkle in it. But you could still beat me there. (laughs) He was right. I could have. A heart attack, a car accident. I could have been, he, he got taken four days later. I could have been taken in those four days. We only have the one day. See, I ask you, I need to ask you, have you received this wisdom from God? Is Jesus tugging at your heart, saying, this is for you today. This is time. It's for you today. Are you gonna have a crown in your future? Or are you gonna have torment? Are you going to have glory in your future? Or are you going to have judgment? You get one or the other. And I just implore you, if you feel Jesus and the Spirit of God tugging on your heart this morning, do not resist anymore. Repent of your sins. Take Christ as your Savior. The one who died for you on a cross and bore the penalty of your sins on a cross. Because when you do, you too, before you leave here, will have a crown reserved for you. You will. God's word promises it. Well, question number four. How is it that any human being, even spiritual ones, can find and understand the wisdom of God? Well, he tells us, Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through his spirit. So the short answer is revelation. The only way we'll ever know what God has to say is because he'll show it to us. He'll reveal it to us. And I want to share some things about this because this is the same thing Jesus told Peter when he declared Christ as the son of God. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The only way we get spiritual wisdom and godly wisdom if God reveals it to us. If God opens our eyes and says, look here, look what I got to show you. And you're gonna say, why didn't I see that before? How come I read this passage 50 times and it never meant that? It's because we hasn't been revealed by our Father. See, some people like to use these verses to describe heaven, and they do. I mean, we cannot picture what heaven's gonna be like. We'll never imagine what heaven's gonna be like. We don't know what it'll smell like, what eternity feels like, but we know it'll be enjoyable. We know it'll be joyful. We know it'll be wonderful. It'll be amazing. It will be incredible. But we'll never see it unless God combines the hearing of his word with saving faith. This is God's work. Saving faith, it's important. I mean, do you think the Pharisees heard Jesus teach? Did they believe? No. The men from Athens, did they believe Paul? They heard. See, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how will they believe of whom they have not heard? But hearing alone is not enough. Knowing alone is not enough. I mean, the Pharisees and the men of Athens, and you might have heard this story over and over and over and over. But hearing is not enough. Do you know, you can know the story inside and out. You can know the gospel message by heart. You can believe in your head, yeah, I can believe that Jesus came and died on a cross and rose from the dead, and yeah, I believe in Abraham Lincoln too. 
and I believe in the Revolutionary War, and I believe in a lot of things. Well, that doesn't mean you put your faith in them alone, that you trust in that alone to get you to heaven. That only happens when God gives saving faith, opens the eyes, rips the message apart, and says, do you see what I got for you? I got eternal life. I got salvation, forgiveness from your sins. I got it all. In fact, I'll even give you a crown. Now, we might throw that crown at his feet because we'll realize we're not there by our own merit. (laughs) But we'll have one to throw. We'll have one to throw. Well, how can we tell real quickly that we're following God's wisdom or earthly wisdom? God says it's possible to track you. Well, it says in James chapter 3, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not which comes down from above. It is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Can you see that this is what drives disunity in a church? Selfish ambition. Jealousy. Oh, they got on the platform more than I did. They got to sing more than I did. They got to teach more classes than I did. They, I don't think they're better than I am. What is that all about? Divides a church. But it says, but the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering without hypocrisy. This is what God's church is to be about. God's church is to be about Purity. It's to be about peacefulness and gentleness. Can you imagine what this place would be like if we just modeled godly wisdom in this room rather than human wisdom? There would be no divisions. God is not divided. I have to tell you, knowledge and faith in Christ will change us without fail. You cannot know Jesus and not start displaying the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit lives in you, you'll display its fruit. You will be loving, peaceful, joyful, kind. Those things will come out of your life. This is what the church should be about. That's what Paul's telling us here. Look, you want to get rid of division in the church? Follow God's wisdom, be filled with the Holy Spirit, have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and the godly wisdom that you will be producing is purity, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. Wow. A church that bickers does not have peace. A church that bickers is not following godly wisdom. We need to follow godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom and earthly rulers are doomed to perish. You know that, right? No matter your favorite podcaster, I'm sorry. That won't make it to heaven unless it's this book. See, when God revealed his word, aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit revealed something that was written down, it's retained forever, not a word of this is going to be lost for eternity, We can hold in our hands the very mind of God, the truth of God, the inerrant word of God, the infallible word of God, the only thing worth living our lives based upon that will never move rock solid forever. This is it. This is it. God says, I want you to know my mind. And and Todd's verse coming up, we'll have the mind of Christ. And here it is. You want to know what God thinks about something? It's right here. Anything that matters. He's not going to tell you about vitamins and homeschool and stuff like that. He wants you to trust him. The rest will take care of itself. Well, let me just close with this. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I just implore you, Please put your faith in Christ. Do not leave here today unless you trust in Jesus Christ because that would mean you have a crown waiting for you, not destruction. 
But if you do know Jesus, let's everyone who knows him lay aside everything and make every effort to leave the hunger for power, for personal glory and acclaim, for that our jealousness, our strife, our selfish ambitions, leave them at the door. That God would drive them out of our heart and we would be characterized by love, by the power of God and gentleness, humility, and purity. What walks into this room when you walk into it? Is it a love? Is it hope? Is it joy? Is it peace? Or is it disunity, self-servingness? What are you gonna do for me today? See, God wants us to be changed people by the mercy of God and by the wisdom of God that he's revealed in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's be changed today. Let's be changed people that live by the wisdom of God. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to know you. Father, you have ripped the blindfolds off of me and let me see the wonder of Christ. I pray you would do the same for anyone here that does not yet know you. And for us who do know you, Father, let us leave aside earthly wisdom behind that leads to power and glory and acclaim and selfishness and jealousy and all the things that we just are overwhelmed by at times. Let them be removed from us and replaced by the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of wisdom that your word will produce in us by your power to your glory for your people forever. May your kingdom grow, Father, this week because we're acting in your wisdom rather than ours. In Jesus' name, amen.